I flirted with a couple of uh, sermon titles this week that I didn't end up using. One of them was, uh, All We Need Is Love, the Beatles. The other might surprise you a little bit. I was seriously considering Tina Turner's What's Love Got to Do With It. And actually, they both, they both would have worked. They both would have worked. All we need is love, obvious fit, right? It's the love chapter. 1 Corinthians 13, that's where we are. Uh, it's the love chapter. And, uh, you know, the, the portion we're going to be in today, that's really the one, you know, it's love, love, love. It's the one on the wedding programs and the coffee cups and the wall hangings and everywhere else we can think to put it. You see, Paul of, Paul of Tarsus and Paul McCartney seem to be on the same page there, you know, with, a, with a, the theme of the chapter. But Tina Turner asked a good question, too. What's love got to do with it? And the reason I thought about that, of course, you might be with me already, but chapter 13 is sandwiched between chapter 12 and 14, naturally, right? And chapter 12 is about spiritual gifts. Chapter 14 is about spiritual gifts. Chapter 12 begins with one of those, one of those uh, markers, one of those new topic markers, now concerning spiritual gifts. And then the, and then the, uh, the discussion continues, 12, 13, 14. So really, 13, chapter 13 is about spiritual gifts. You know, what's love got to do with it? In fact chapter 13 begins and ends if you look at the beginning we won't look at the verses but you can in your own bibles it begins with clear and we were in this last week and before chapter 13 begins with clear reference to spiritual gifts you know if i if i have this spiritual gift to the utmost and to the extreme to the hypothetical extreme but do not have love it begins with spiritual gifts and it and we we're not going to get to these verses today we're i got bogged down this week we're only in one verse <laughs> But it ends with discussion of spiritual gifts. You know, if there is prophecy, you know, and all, you know, all. It, so it, the chapter 13 begins and ends itself with spiritual gifts. And so the question is, well, why the love chapter? What's love got to do with it? Because what we're really talking about in this larger section is spiritual gifts. And the verses, well, really, we're just getting started in these that center paragraph, it, it, you think, we're, what's love got to do with it? Or they begin, love is, love is, but guess what? We're not really going to find out exactly, precisely what love is. Because it's not going to be a definition. It's not going to be a definition. It's going to be what love looks like. It's going to be how love behaves, how it doesn't behave, how we might be able to tell whether we've got it or not. And it's, this, it's the signs of love. It's not a direct definition of love. It's some telltale signs. We're going to see things that are present where love is, and we're going to see things that, that indicate the love isn't strong and there's something wrong, there's a problem in the love life. The way these verses, and really I'm thinking of verses 4 through 7, the way these verses talk about love strikes me as similar to the way Jesus talks to Nicodemus about the work of the Holy Spirit in imparting new life, imparting the new birth, 
And here's here's what uh, Nick, what John, I'm sorry, what uh, Jesus says to Nicodemus in John 3. He says, "The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes." So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So in this image, he says, you don't really see the wind. Nobody sees the wind. You can't see the wind. You, you see, hear and see the effects of it. You, know, you, you hear the sound of it as it goes through the, through the trees. You see the, the leaves blow. You see the trees sway. You, know, you see the fruit of it. He says, so is everyone who's born of the Spirit. You can't see you can't observe that but you see the fruit of it you see the effect of it and that it seems like th that this that reminds me of how Paul is going to talk about love here he's not going to give us a direct definition really he's going to say where there's love how do the how does the, how do the trees sway how do the leaves move what kind of sound does it make uh, and as we as we go through these things, I hope that you'll notice that several of the, well, features or effects or the way, you know, several of these effects of love are, are, are described in, in uh, either mostly or wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, wholly attitudinal terms, affectional having to do with the emotions, having to do with how you, how you feel about, about things, that, they're, that they're, some of these terms are really going to be more descriptive of the heart and, and how you feel or how you think about things than they are about the actions. And I, and I want you, and I'll remind you at a few places, but look for it, not just in what we do today, but what we do in the rest of this chapter. Look for things that, that, are, that have to do with how you feel about things, how you think about things, your affections, your emotions. And I say that because sometimes Christians, and it's very common to do this, want to reduce a love to actions, uh, that uh, decisions of the will, that to love is to make a decision to do something, that love is... And you hear, you know, love is a decision or love is an action or, uh, you know, it's a decision of the will to act on, uh, act on behalf of somebody else or act for the blessing of, of somebody else. And, and I, th I think there are a couple of reasons why Christians want to say that love is a decision. One is to guard against some thinking about love that just is just an empty sentimentality like I love you. Oh, I love you. Well, can you help me move this week? Oh, no. <laughs> you know, I love you so much. Well, I'm really in a jam here. Could you, could you help me out here? Oh, no. Oh, my goodness, no. <laughs> you know, that's just, you know, and I love you, but not so as, you know, I couldn't be moved. I couldn't be bothered to actually do anything for you. But I say I love you because I have wonderful feelings for you. And one of... So that's one of the reasons why Christians want to say sometimes, no, 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 that's not love. Love is a decision. Love is an act of the will. You know, you decide to, to do the loving thing. The other, the other reason why Christians say that sometimes, and I think they want to say love is a decision, is to kind of put, and I've heard it, I, I mentioned last week one of my favorites who, favorite preachers who said this specifically, want to kind of put, obedience to the will of God within our reach, right? 
We want to be, you know, you hear, God will never tell us to do something we, it's not in our power to do. Which I wonder about that. Last week we were in John chapter 8 in Sunday school. Jesus said to the woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. How do you think she did? I mean, she is not compelled to, you know, this, uh, forgive 70 times 7, you know, but, you know, all of these things. Rejoice always, again I will say rejoice. Pray without ceasing. I th I'm overloaded all the time <laughs> of things I, re I can't do without God's help. So, but they want to put obedience within our reach. He says, love one another. Love people. And, and if it has to do with our affections and our feelings and our emotions, well, how do you just turn that? You just can't turn that on, can you? You just can't flip a switch and feel differently or feel in a loving way towards someone when you don't. And so what, how can we obey if it's... And so that sometimes it's reduced to, no, 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 it has... And sometimes I'll say this, and I'm, I'm saying it's dead wrong. Love has nothing to do with how you feel. I'm, I'm, I'm disagreeing with that. Love has nothing to do with your feelings, your affections, your emotions. It's just what you do. Love is a decision to do something, to, to uh, act, to decide and do it. Of course, the problem with that we've already seen in the first few verses of 1 Corinthians 13 you can do what appears to be the loving thing to the utmost and still not have it whatever it is love if I if I give away all my belongings if I give away everything I have and have not love I'm nothing right remember that well in other words it's possible to give away everything you have and still not have it. If I give my body to be burned, if I give up my very body and don't have love, it's possible to do those things. It, it, and we're just talking about it's possible to exercise your spiritual gift to the utmost, to the hypothetical extreme that nobody's ever got to yet and do it without love and that's what was happening there at Corinth that's what was happening in many cases exercise of gifts amazing amazing gifts but there's a problem underlying there in the church and it has to do with love so it's it's we don't I want you to notice when we go through these things not all of them but some of them are really seem to belong more to the area of what we might call the heart, the emotions, the feelings. Some of them have really no necessary connection to actions at all. A few. Some of them are. Because we don't notice that. Notice that, it's a, that, that God is making a claim on your affections here and mine. Not just what we do. Things like motive, attitude, feelings heart uh, because what here's what we don't want to learn from 1 Corinthians 13 it, it, here's what we don't want to get out of it because it's not re it's really not what's there 
We don't want to learn how to mimic love. We don't want to learn how we can pretend we have love with each other and others. We, we don't want to learn, we don't want to leave here or think the teaching of the Bible is love is doing what you, do, what you would do if you did love. Because you missed it. You missed it. You're, you know, you're leaving too much on the table if that's what you were to get out of it. So, so like I say, I got bogged down this, this week. You know, I didn't get out of the verse, just verse 4, and we'll, we'll stay there. But, but let's just kind of go through them. Uh, verse 4, and you, and you can put up the verse and you can leave it up, David. Love is patient. Now, notice it's patient. It's 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 not it's a, it's an adjective it's not a noun right love is not patience love is not patience itself love is patient where there's love there will be patience uh, king james and and new king james might be a little more uh, illustrative here it says king james says love well it doesn't say love it says charity doesn't it that's <laughs> one of the re- you know so but if you understand charity to be love uh, King James says, love suffereth long. <laughs> suffereth long. Uh, New King James suffers long. And you might, you, and that's illustrative of the word really, because you might think from just the word patience, just, leave, just maybe the way you would use it in common language. You, we're only talking about waiting without fidgeting. You know, <laughs> waiting without being anxious it's it's actually uh more situationally specific than that the the word here is is really the opposite of being uh short-tempered uh it's the opposite of having a a short fuse you know on your anger it means being you know long-tempered there's a long fuse a patient person is not eager to exact payback in the face of provocation that's that's really what we're talking about here the the famous post-apostolic uh, preacher Chrysostom he said this is he preached this is this is a uh, you know more than a almost 2,000 years old here Chrysostom said this word is used of a man who is wronged and has it easily in his power to avenge himself but will never do it. That's what this is. And once again, it isn't love itself, is it? But where there is love, you'll have that. Someone's done wrong, you've been wronged, you could get them back, you don't. Why? Because you love them. You love them. More recently than, uh, you know, those hundreds and hundreds of years ago, but still 300 years ago, Welsh minister Matthew Henry describes this aspect or facet or fruit or sign of love this way. And I'll read a little passage from him. It can endure evil, injury, and provocation without being filled with resentment, indignation, or revenge. It makes the mind firm, gives it power over the angry passions, and furnishes it with a persevering patience that shall rather wait and wish for the reformation of a brother than fly out in resentment of his conduct. 
it will put up with many slights and neglects from the person it loves and wait long to see the kindly effects of such patience on him. Well, you know, English language changed a lot 300 years, right? There's some things that are hard to understand there. This old guy up here, though, loves seeing the word passion used correctly, though. <laughs> you know, it says the passion and using it in, a, in an old-fashioned kind of way. But there's one phrase in there that's exact. We, we use it exactly the same way. I don't know if you caught it. Put up with. Put up with. Uh, this isn't all there is to love, of course. But where there is love there will be a lot of putting up with. A loving church is one where they put up with each other a lot. Not out of fear of a church boss. Um, not because someone is a bully and will... Not because you're afraid someone will pay you back or something like that. Uh, but because there's love. There's love. You know, where, there, where there's not love, of course, you hear it. You hear it. I'm not putting up with it. I'm not going to put up with it. Short fuses. People anxious to kind of meet out some payback, low, low tolerance for aggravations caused by, well, you know what, caused by certain people. Which people? The ones you don't love. <laughs> the ones you love you can put up with. And that's really Paul's point. If you love, you'll put up with. There's no better example than Jesus himself of this kind of patience that flows from love once again, you know, it's, we're not talking, in that word there, we're not talking about just waiting for, without being anxious or fidgety. We're talking about this, uh, this putting up with, this, this forbearing kind of uh, attitude toward people we love. Uh, Jesus, 1 Peter 2, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. You know, at the cross, it's a picture of the cross, of course. When he, well, in ultimate, it's at the cross. He was reviled before that as well. But at the cross, you remember, these th there's these thieves. He's a thief on this side, a thief on that side, both being crucified for their crimes. And sometimes we think of it, well, there's two good, you know, there's a good guy and a bad guy. At the beginning, they're both hurling insults at him both of them are taunting him they're both can, if you can imagine this you know these two guys about to die you know about to face their maker are hurling insults at the son of god jesus doesn't hurl insults in return he doesn't call on those 12 legions of angels that he said were at his disposal to to do what well maybe at least shut them up Strike of the mute. He, he leaves the door open to those he loved. And before he died, one of those condemned men came through that door, right? Door from condemnation to paradise. 
Jesus was only reflecting the love of his heavenly Father. Exodus 34, the Lord is a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That's Jesus' Father. There's a New Testament equivalent. I, I think of it as this way, 2 Peter 3, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. See, that patience connected to, you know, grievance and provocation. He's not just waiting for you to come to Christ, waiting to you work through your intellectual problems. He's patient with the provocation of your sin and your unbelief. Patience born of love. And once again, I'll point it out here. It's very attitudinal, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's not, it, it, isn't that the way we've looked at it, the way it is? Isn't it? It's a lot to do with how you feel, right? A lot to do with your attitude, a lot to do with your heart, a lot to do with your, how you think about somebody. Not so much what you do or what you don't do. And it's very, it's very people-oriented, too. I mean, we're talking about people here. We're not talking about patients uh, as you're sitting at a red light. You know, we're not talking about patients where you're sitting at a red light because you love the traffic light. You know, nobody loves a red light. Nobody loves a red light. So we're not even talking about that kind of situation. We're not talking about this kind of garden variety of patients with situations. We're talking about patients with someone you love. Have you noticed, by the way, maybe it's my age, but it, a lot of you have noticed, can you, you know how much you can put up with your grandchildren or other? Have you noticed that? Why is that? You, you no. <laughs> they actually behave worse sometimes. I, mean, <laughs> I you love them. You love them so much. That's why. Why don't you put up with other people's grandchildren? You don't love them as much as they, you know, right? Right? Or, but this is, you know, this is patience toward a fellow believer, that kind, that putting up with, not out of sheer self discipline not just biting your tongue and not you know saying what you want to say not just out of sheer discipline but out of a heart affection of loving them you know, I, I wonder I wonder when this letter 1 Corinthians was read for the very first time in the gathered assembly at Corinth which is how it would have been people came to church we got a letter from the apostle Paul we're going to read it <laughs> And I wonder if at this point in the letter, uh, you know, who would have, who would have been squirming? I, I, what about people who had already lodged lawsuits against other believers? You know, there's a, there's a beef in the church. You know, somebody has a beef against somebody else, and they've sued them in a, in a civil court of law. I wonder if they would be uncomfortable, you know. 
Well, if so, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Because what the lawsuits exposed was not just a weakness in the discipline of patience, but it was something, Paul says it's more serious than that. There's some problem in the love life. It, it exposes, he's not really talking about patience. He's talking about love. And, you know, so, that, so it was, he's, there's a problem, there's something wrong with the love here. That's why you've got this. Well, all right. First, love is patient. Secondly, love is kind. If patience is about what love moves us to absorb internally, inwardly, kindness seems like the other side of the coin to me. It's about, it's about exerting ourselves outwardly. I, I can't picture, I can see someone having a kind attitude or something, but it's really hard to picture someone being kind without doing things. You know, kind deeds, deeds of kindness. Even if it's just saying a kind word. Uh, Kindness is, is, an, is really this more active. It's an active interest in the welfare of others. Uh, you know, an impatient person is, is someone who has, kind of has a chip on their shoulder. You know, you've heard the expression, you have a chip on your shoulder. That's someone who just goes around saying, just cross me, just cross me. I'm begging you, you know, knock this chip off my shoulder. You'll see what happens to you. You won't like it. I will, <laughs> but you won't, right? And a kind person is, is like the opposite of that. Just give me a chance. Give me a chance. Show me an opening. Show me an opening to do something kind, to, uh, to bless, uh, to build up. Give me an opening to build up, build you up with my words, a kind word. But once again, notice that love is not kindness itself. It's not really put like that. It's an adjective. It's not love is kindness. So that if you're, you know, if you do a kind deed, you must love. But it's rather kindness shows up where love is. And I say that because deeds of supposed kindness can and sometimes do have a kind of forced insincere quality to them. It is possible to do something that might appear kind when you're not feeling it. I'm thinking of the uh, the children with the the, the uh, siblings who've just been in a knockdown, dragout fight, and mom has sorted it out, or dad has sorted it. Well, mom, this would be mom. Mom, now give your brother a hug, right? It's the only way out of this situation, so they do. But you know, <laughs> so it's possible to do things that would look like kind, mimic, mimic love by doing a kind thing, saying a kind word, but not have it. But really, it, it, it's an action, and where, it'd be mostly something you said or something you did, but where there is love, where there really is love, there will be signs of genuine, heartfelt kindness that moves people to say a kind thing and do a kind deed. Once again, the picture is God's love for us. You know, Titus, Titus 3, well-known passage, 
but it's, I'm going to read it and just, just notice that it, it equates sal our salvation itself, our salvation in Christ with a deed of kindness on God's part born of his love for us. But when the goodness and loving kindness of, our God, of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Our salvation is a kindness of God done to us. Why did that happen? Because he loves us. Because he loves us. You see the connection of love and kindness very well in Jesus' words, Luke 6:35. But love, here's Jesus. But love your enemies and do good and land, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Love your enemies so that you'll be like God, because God is kind. See, love, kindness. Why is he kind? Because he loves. You know, think about that church at Corinth. Who's squirming there now? You know, it would be the people maybe who were eating all the food and drinking all the wine before others got there. You know, some were filled and some were drunk and some left hungry and, and thirsty. Or uh, maybe, maybe those who were disparaging uh, the teaching gifts of Paul and Apo or Apollos or uh, or Cephas because they had another favorite and Paul's what Paul's saying here in this little thing he's he's not just telling the believers there stop with the unkindness stop with the unkindness stop with the unkind words stop with the unkind deeds he's he's saying there's something wrong with the love <laughs> and that's why that's why there's a, if where there's unkindness that's why it is there's something going wrong with the love life of the church. Some abstentions here, love's abstentions, a list of them, we won't get to all of them. What love doesn't do, what love doesn't feel. Signs of love's absence, love does not. Envy. Envy is a feeling of loss when someone else experiences a gain. Um, envy is getting your feelings hurt if someone else has a success and I want you to notice this is very attitudinal isn't it very attitudinal you, you in other words you don't have to do anything to be eaten up with envy envy's not you don't have to do anything to be envious right you you, you don't even have to you can even hide your envy so that nobody so that nobody knows about it uh, you you can uh, you can even be envious from afar the person you're envious of might not even know you exist in other words this is not this is not a deed so much as something that, this is a an affection of your heart don't be envious the only person that always that envy always hurts hurts others as well but the only person it always hurts is the one who has it. You know, Haman in the book of Esther, Haman was uh, was envious of Mordecai. 
Well, who did? Well, it threatened Mordecai. Haman's envy threatened Mordecai, but who did it hurt in the end? Haman, most of all. King Saul was envious of David's success on the battlefield. It didn't work out well for Saul. The Pharisees were envious of Jesus' popularity with the people, and their envy, in part, blinded them to the salvation that could have been theirs. But, but here in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul's not making the point that envy hurts the one who has it. His point is that envy and love do not fit in the same heart. Uh, envy either display, displaces or covers or shrouds the love, or the love displaces the envy. But you know what, you know what really is more to Paul's point, you know, those little examples? Haman was jealous of Mordecai. That's how we know Haman didn't love Mordecai. <laughs> Seems obvious, but uh, King Saul was envious of, of David, and that's how we know Saul didn't love uh, David as much as we, he thought or we thought. Uh, the Pharisees didn't love Jesus, or they, they were envious of Jesus because they didn't love him. That's obvious. They hated him. That, that's really more to the point. When, when I'm when I'm envious of another, I know there's something wrong. Something's happening with love. Uh, love rejoices when good things come to people we love. There's there's a uh, I, I, before we go on, I want to say one more thing. There's a there's something to be aware of here with this envy. It seems like there is kind of an entry level envy. You're just getting started. You're new at it. You know, you're this. And this is kind of the envy that is, uh, it envies another success or it envies blessing coming to someone else because they don't have it. You know, it's, it's uh, he envies another's financial success and or she wishes she he had it too or she envies another's beauty or apparent marital bliss and, boy, I, would, I, would, I want that. Uh envies you know he he envies his athletic abilities or or she envies another's popularity or academic that that's just entry level they have something i want it i envy it there is another that's entry level there's a there's kind of a, a deeper and more diabolical level of this and i'm telling you this because if you're envious in the first sense you're just jealous of what somebody else has or does or something like that, uh, there's something to watch out for because it can get deeper. And here's the deeper. It's an envy that's only satisfied with other, someone else losing what they have. It's not so much you want it. You just don't want them to have it. You can live without it. You're fine. It's not just that. You just don't want the other person having it. Uh, I can live without the promotion as long as he doesn't get it. <laughs> or, you know, I can live without making the team as long as my friend doesn't either. Uh, you remember the case of Solomon uh, threatening to split the baby? Of course you do. Solomon's going to split the baby. Think of the, think of the, uh, the bereaved mother who wasn't the mother, right? At the very bottom of it all, she was fine with not having a baby as long as her friend or whatever they were to each other, as long as the other woman didn't have one either. 
she was fine. What what Solomon do in his wisdom? He he discerned where the love was, didn't he? <laughs> he discerned where the love was, and he discerned where it wasn't. So watch out, you know. <laughs> if you feel yourself envious, you know, you think, well, boy, there's another level beyond that. You know, when if I've gotten to the place where I'm just, I don't want someone else to have what they have, and that would make, that would satisfy my envy in a, in a way, uh, get out now. <laughs> How do you get out? Love. Well, next, finally, we'll finish with these. Two more things that love does or doesn't feel. Love doesn't boast. I'll do them together because I can't separate them. Love doesn't boast, neither is it arrogant. I'm taking them together because one, the arrogance seems inner, attitudinal, affectional, and boasting is what you do if you are arrogant. Boasting is what comes out of your mouth when you are arrogant. Uh, arrogant, inner attitude of, of personal superiority. Um, lots of arrogance at Corinth. You know, if you if you go back through, you read these two words a lot before this point. 1 Corinthians 4. Uh, I, I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the walk of talk of these arrogant people, but their power. He said, you know, they're arrogant. They're so arrogant they think Paul's afraid to come and, and address them personally. They think so much of themselves, they think, he won't come here. He won't face me. First Corinthians 5, it's actually reported that there's sexual immorality among you and, a, and of a kind that's not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. They're arrogant, they... They, uh, they're, they're fine with themselves. They're fully competent to judge these things in a way that the, that the Bible does and the Old Testament wouldn't. They're, they're, they're fully, you know, they're arrogant in, the, in setting themselves up as the arbiter in these things. They don't, it doesn't matter what anyone else or anything else says. I, pro I, I fancy that they're probably proud of their tolerance and they're kind of proud that they weren't judgy about things. Arrogant. 1 Corinthians 8. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up. New American Standard makes arrogant. Same word. Same word, puffed up. Lots of arrogance in the church. Lots of boasting in the church. 1 Corinthians 1. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring nothing to things that are, so that no human being might boast. He says later, no human being boasts. He said, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 3, let no one boast in men. 1 Corinthians 4, if what, what do you have you didn't receive? If you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? God gave it to you. You're boasting about it like you did it. 1 Corinthians 5, your boasting is not good. So it, there's lots of arrogance, lots of boasting there. And this church, this church at Corinth was easy to find people who thought they were all that, more spiritual, better, smarter, more discerning, greater gifts. And they were easy to find because they told everybody about it. Probably, you know what, 
nothing, I wonder if there's anything more countercultural in our time than to uh, not want to be arrogant or boastful. We, we, lo we love self. Self-esteem is the way to get anywhere, right? How their little darling's going to be great if, they, if you don't tell them they're great from the get-go. If they don't believe they're great, how, you know, how's it going to happen? How are they going to amount to anything if they don't think they're wonderful, awesome? On the other hand, how can we be surprised when the end product is arrogance <laughs> and boasting without greatness in sight? Greatest person ever lived is our Lord, of course. Have this mind, Philippians 2, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Arrogance, boasting, kind of the latter rungs, we lift ourselves up. What, what did Christ do? He's, you see in this passage, he lowers himself. Equality with God, not a thing to be grasped. Becomes a man, not just a man, but a servant man. Not just a servant, but one who gave his very life, not just to any death, but to death on a cross, the lowest, humiliating kind of life. You know, Jesus down, right? Arrogance boasting, lift ourselves up. And why did he, why did he do that? Why did he, you know, not counting quality a thing to be grasped, lowered himself by becoming a, in the likeness of men, not just a man but a servant, not just a servant but a dying servant, not just a death but the, the, but the lowest, most humiliating death. Why? Greater love has no man than this than he give his life for his friends. Paul's argument in this not just not just today, not just this little verse four, but in this in this passage, is not merely. Come on, folks, be patient with one another. Let's see some patience. You know, lengthen the fuses on your anger. You know, don't be so anxious to get back. Try to, to be kinder. Would you say some kind things to one another? Do some kind things for one another? And stop being so envious. Stop being so boastful. Stop being so, arg so uh, arrogant. That's not his argument. The argument is, if there's impatience prevalent in this church, it's because something's getting in the way of love. <laughs> Uh, if there's, uh, you know, if there's, if, if, if there's lack of kindness, kind words, kind deeds, it's, it's something, something's happened with the, the love. Something's getting in the way. Uh, with the others as well. If there's boasting, if there's arrogance. He says love is the soil in which these good things grow. Patience, kindness. Loves the soil in which it allows these things to grow. So where do you get it? Where do you get it? How do you get it? Well, if the love, as I'm arguing, and I always argue, has this strong emotional and affectional element to it that it has, and it's absolutely necessary, how do you begin to love if you don't? You can't just decide to. You can't decide. You can decide to do what you would do if you would love, but how do you love
I want to say it's not that you, if you are born of God, if you have believed in Christ, if God, if God has saved you, if he's imparted spiritual life to you, if you really have been made a part of the household of faith, you have it. You have it. God is love, right? God is love. 1 John 4, love is from God. Uh, if you've been born of God, it's already true that God's, for Romans 5, God's love has been poured into your hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. And so what is it with these Corinthian believers or us? It isn't that it's not there if they're in Christ. It's obscured, isn't it, by their carnality, by their fleshliness, by their immature, by their unnatural immaturity, Right? It's covered up, it's obscured, it's obstructed, it, won't, it can't flow well. But it's got to be in there if they are who they think they are. When our children were young and were in constant competition with each other over the silliest advantages, dumbest things you can they'd fight over the smallest advantages over one, you know with one another they begrudged each other everything sometimes they sometimes they even fancied if it was a, you know they even fancied they hated each other sometimes we would sometimes tell them there's coming a day when they would see one another after being parted for a long time, maybe one of them to go off to college or they get married and they move to another and then they come together for something, and you're going to rejoice to see each other. You're going to rush into each other's arms and hug their necks. and You're, you're going you're gonna to weep when they weep and you're going to rejoice when they rejoice. They would say, yeah, right. <laughs> that day's never coming. But it did, of course, because the love was built in. And what was different? Only maturity. Only maturity. Maturity showed up. Childishness was set aside. And it was there. It was there. Love is what we need. And if you are in Christ, love is what you have. Because you've been born of God, who loves you, who is love, whose love has been poured out into your hearts. And the only thing that can happen wrong is that this, this carnality, this fleshliness, this, this uh, unnatural uh, immaturity gets in the way obscures it even makes you think it's not there so it isn't get some love some you know, it isn't uh, get some love because you don't have it it's get this other stuff out of the way and show who you are be a child of God 
be a member of the family. You are if you are. The love of God has been poured out in your hearts. Get the other stuff out of the way. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the love with which you love us and for the love that you've poured out in our hearts. Thank you for the love in, in this body of believers, this church, which has been showed so abundantly to me and to others. Help us to be watchful for those attitudes and actions that show us where our love is strong and growing, where it's growing weaker, and help us to make the connection so that we don't just pursue virtues like patience and kindness, but that we pursue and long for and embrace more fully the love that you have for us, the love that you have for others, the love that's been poured out in our hearts. May your love, the love of a heavenly Father, and the love of Jesus Christ be fully embraced in every place and in every heart here today and be rejected by no one. We pray in the name of Jesus, who loves us. Amen.